Hi, I'm April Lovett. And I'm Daryl Lovett. We've been together for six years, and we have a sweet and sassy little girl, an adorable and talkative little boy, and our fur child, our dog, Lainey. <laughs> oh. That's funny, huh? Hi, I'm April Lovett. And I'm Daryl Lovett. We've been together for six years, and we have a sweet and sassy little girl, an adorable and talkative little boy, and our fur child, our dog, Lainey. That's right. We also work our nine-to-five jobs together, we teach together, and we own the Lovett Company. We do so much together, and we wanted to share some of our tips and tricks for living out our 24-7 relationship. That's right. A relationship that is all day, every day. Plus, we wanted to share with you how we managed to run our business alongside full-time jobs and still find time for kids, chores, and fun. So in this podcast, the Success in Black and White podcast, we will talk about navigating the gray in life. So get ready, get ready, get ready. We're going to be bringing to you Real Talk concepts every week as we share some of our stories, best practices, as well as talk to guests about how they found success by doing extraordinary things in their everyday lives. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Success in Black and White. The podcast. Yeah. We are back in the house one more again. We are back one more again. Mm-hmm. Coming to you live from the house. The house. <laughs> Where else, really? <laughs> <laughs> we, although we need to do a cruise ship again. We get yeah. Fired. Yeah. But later 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 right now today we are rocking our brand new t-shirt designs one of our designs yeah you can't my cup in the way oh well mine is very visible hashtag int and that doesn't sound sound that does not stand for interception (laughs) that does not stand for interception it does not stand for interception what does it stand for hashtag int Hashtag INT. So one time, um, I think back in March of this year, we went to a panel discussion on interracial relationships and we met this amazing woman that was so amazing that I don't even remember her name. Do you remember her name? No, I thought you did. No, I don't remember her name. Although I work with her mom. I was about to say, we can get it. Yeah, we can get it. I work in the same um, building as her mom. So anyway. We met her and she was amazing and we had this really, you know, long, well, as long of a conversation as we could have after the panel. And she was in an interracial relationship. She or is. She is, sorry. <laughs> her, She's black, her husband is white. But she was so funny. She was telling us about how her and her husband talked about identifying other interracial couples that they see that are out and about. And she, they always, like, they'll nudge each other and be like, INT. INT. And so since then, since that time, now when we're out, like if we're at church or we're like at the grocery store, or wherever, we're always like INT, INT. Because sometimes it's like a rare sighting. Like, yeah. You know, like Bigfoot. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe not as rare as Bigfoot, but it Abominable is. Snowman. <laughs> is that less rare than seeing Bigfoot? Yeah. Okay. All right. Or the Loch Ness. Which I thought was just in Scotland. That's right. It's rare for us to see. That okay. We true. ain't never in Scotland. Right. So we see these we <laughs> see these couples and families more often than you know, the Loch Ness monster, but much less often than we see, you know, just, Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> 
So anyway, so we all know it will be like INT, INT. So now we always say it. So we thought it would be funny, especially for our community to have the hashtag INT t-shirts. If you are interested, we have some for sale, a limited amount, but we will sell them. What? How much are we selling these for? 15. 15. Perfect. 99. (laughs) Plus tax, shipping, and handling. (laughs) You do the math. Okay. Less than 20. We'll say that. (laughs) We're going to sell them for less than 20, right? So anyway. For the community though, because like this one right here. Like, I feel like the people that would wear this, like, I'm cool with them getting it for $15.99 plus tax plus shipping to him. <laughs> That's true. All we my usually, other shirts, $20. I was going to say, we usually charge 20 So, yeah. anyway, if you want one of these shirts, the hashtag INTs. And it's the same quality. The, the quality is the same. Yeah. So it's very it's soft, good, it's that good cotton. Stuff. So, those of you who already have, you've either won one of our t-shirts or you, you bought, bought one. one. Yeah, it's, it's the same quality. Same We're not going backwards from this quality. No, because who wants to wear a stiff cardboard t-shirt all day? Those are terrible. Not me. No, I don't either. They're terrible. So anyway, yeah. so we're both rocking this look because it's just funny. It's one of our sayings now, and um, we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So um, we're also rocking this look because today we are jumping back into a conversation that we started um, having regarding diversity and really like getting to the meaty, hearty parts of diversity way back in January when we did our four-part episode on interracial relationships and we interviewed a bunch of couples and that kind of thing. And so this week, we're talking about code switching. And when I say we are talking about that, it's difficult. Um, I can give you a definition and a history of the term um, in some ways it's been used but I cannot bring really experience to it because I'm white so (laughs) my husband is going to help provide context and experiences and stories in which he has had to use code switching and um, just all of the things that come with that in this series Yes. Yes. All of the above. All of the above. A, B, C, and D. Yeah. True story. So, you want to jump in? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, let's jump into code switching. So, as the typical, you guys know you've been watching us forever, since, well, not forever, but the past year since we've been doing this, you know that I come bearing data, kind of. Yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd say more research. So yeah. what do you have? What I have is the official definition of code switching. So if you're like Oh, the official. Uh-huh. All right. According to Britannica Dictionary. That's in the dictionary? Yes. Oh snap. At least in Britannica's. I don't As know about when? Webster, but Oh um, no, Webster. Mm-mm. <laughs> nah. I Webster's assume, still on the short list. Do you know where I always forget to check? Where? The Urban Dictionary. Yeah, you should do that. I probably should have checked that. Yeah. Interesting. I'm pretty sure they have a good definition in there. Of code switching? Yeah. If anybody's going to be able to give it to you, it's the people from the urban community. That's true. Urban Dictionary. All right, come on. So anyway. While you're in there, you need to look up uh, in your DMs. No, I didn't (laughs) do that yet. Come on. 
So the official definition of code switching is the process of shifting from one linguistic code, so a language or a dialect, to another, depending on the social context and or conversational setting. Right. Makes sense. This is something, this is something, and so you guys heard there's no context of race or ethnicity in the official definition. Correct. And that's because it's just not included in the definition because honestly, there are a lot of different ways in which different people code switch. But the reason that this is so contextually important when we talk about race and um, racial issues, especially in America today, is the fact that in history, code switching has been used primarily by African Americans, but also by other uh, minority and or marginalized groups in order to um, make themselves... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I don't know either. In order to make, in order to make themselves see, come across recognizable. As like, yeah, maybe recognizable. Like come across as I belong in this space. Okay. In this group that I'm in. Okay. And I just you know have a dictionary definition in front of me and I can't think of the word. Mm-hmm. Acceptable. Acceptable. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Just like your Britannica. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm the urban dictionary. You some sometimes code switch. <laughs> the other idea of where we got this um, topic from, there's actually a really good podcast. We'll link to it in the notes, the show notes below, but it's actually called the Code Switch Podcast. And they tackle a lot of every episode is related to race and diversity. And they tackle a lot of really important topics. Like one of the ones I listened to was um, all about this year's U.S. Census Bureau. Yeah. And how they were trying to eliminate certain, um, or no, they were trying to add in, trying to get people, force people basically to say if they were a legal resident of the United States or if they were an alien of the oh, United yeah. States. And this, of course, and like just erupted in, you know, huge controversy across political lines and so um that was one i listened to primarily because i'm interested in survey building because i'm a nerd um but it was just really interesting so anyway the podcast itself tackles a lot of really difficult topics and i highly recommend it especially if you are kind of in the space of like i'm white and i'm privileged and i don't understand a lot of these topics it's a really good show to to jump into to start exploring yourself like why talking about racial topics and diversity is so important yeah i agree so you can jump in at any time that's what i like about it because it's not mm-hmm. like building they give context to everything so mm-hmm. i feel like it's good and i like it for that reason it's really really good Um, so let's then talk about the history of code switching because I think that's important. Like I said, the definition doesn't have racial undertones in it because technically any person, um, at any time may be code switching. I know for instance, I code switch based on certain situations I may be in, or if I'm around certain people, I will talk one way in front of my family and in a safe space. And then when I go to work, I talk a completely different way. 
You do? Yeah. <laughs> Usually. Oh. Okay, I'm learning to talk a completely different way. Okay, all right. This might have been facilitated by the fact that now I am in a more politically recognized office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be more careful with my words than I used. I, I really did. So when we work together, I would just kind of say what I thought and I was safe primarily because I'm a white female and I'm the most protected of anybody in America. Um, and so I could say what I wanted to in a work setting and not really have any repercussions. And so I took advantage of that. Hmm. Um, I, I can still, I still am able to do that a little bit, but I have to really tone back a lot of what I would like if I'm in a situation where I would have said something like in a staff meeting or something. Now I really think about it and think through it because I don't have the ability to do that anymore and to really speak my mind because of the political, not because of my race, but because of the political nature of my office. Okay. Does I can that see sense? that. That okay. makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. So in that way, I do have to code switch. But this is a very different thing than if you're code switching because of the color of your skin. Right? Right. So let's give a little bit of history. Um, So code switching is usually directed, as we talk about it in the context of America today, it's related to race and or minorities. Um, And this has really been a recognized definition since the 1970s when... um, People were trying to push standardized English onto African-Americans in this very, like, Eurocentric atmosphere of we don't think, as as the white race, we don't think that African-Americans speak the way that we want them to, whether it was, you know, right or wrong, according to whose standards, nobody knows, except you know, Eurocentric, European, white English, standard English standards. So anyway, that's kind of where it was recognized, was like, you must code switch in order to be well-educated or be well-respected in certain spaces and places. And so this is especially true when we saw um, that, um, not segregation, but... The <laughs> I don't have any words today. That's so sad. Um, the desegregation. Hmm? What, is, what is the word I'm trying to? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what you're trying to say right now. <laughs> so when we civil rights movement, yes, the civil with the civil rights movement. Oh, okay. You like desegregation, and desegregation. I'm just like, when did that happen? Like, what that is does, that? Yeah. So I'm thinking about when you're talking we, about the civil rights movement, like when that happened, when that started. Yes. Okay. All right. Come so on, like, I'm with you. The civil rights movement when um, I need to get you up on your African American lit. I know clearly. So, I got a book. What? Thank you. Right back there behind us right now. Perfect. So when black children were starting to be integrated mm-hmm. into white schools uh-huh. and the separation of those two. So the segregation was coming to an end, which, of course, I can't in my brain think of the word for this. Um, but anyway, there was a very like teachers of children were saying, you know, you are not speaking English in the way that I want you to speak it because it is not 
proper grammar, quote unquote. Um, it is not the Eurocentric, you know, standard English. And so what they were speaking is actually has a term and it's called African American English. And so there were two different approaches to this. There was the correctivist approach in which teachers would actually like correct children and say, you are not speaking the way that I think you should be speaking. It's not proper grammar, proper English um, in this Eurocentric view of appropriate speech. And then there was the contrastivist, which really emphasizes language plurality, right? And so what people who were contrastivists said was that the home dialect was equally as important as standard American English. And so if you look at two sentence structures, like a standard English speaking or a standard English dialect would say, um, my brother is smart, would be the sentence. And then an African-American English-speaking person would say, my brother, he's smart. Because that phrase has a West African sentence structure that's known as topic comment. So the topic is my brother, and the smart is the comment. It lacks the verb. But what I didn't know until I researched this, is that English is the only language that requires the verb in the sentence in order. So we're basically telling people, if you don't put a verb in your sentence, it's not proper grammar structure. But otherwise, English is the only language that expects that people are putting a verb in their sentence. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the history behind code switching. Mm. Yeah. That's deep. Is it? Very. How so? Have you experienced this? Uh, yeah. I'm okay. trying to stay on track with what we got. I got your notes right here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep my mental capacity. Because <laughs> it was too, it was too much of me not knowing terms that I should know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay with you and keep my mental capacity with your stories, with my stories okay. on lock. With the way that we have it written up in the notes. I got you. So I can stay on track because with this topic, I mean, I feel like it can go in a a lot of different ways. Yeah. And also, you're asking for some pretty intimate stories and stuff in here. Yes, I am. Based on my experiences. Yes, um, I am. So I'm just trying to. And you have to be prepared. Keep it locked table. in. So I, I was trying to be lighthearted at the beginning, staying with where we were going with this, just mm-hmm. so that I could not lose people where they think that I'm getting like too deep or I want you to feel sorry for me or anything like that. So I've just been trying to stay locked in. But you've been challenging that. <laughs> sorry. No, you're good. It's all good. I mean, I think that's I think that's part of the issue, too. And I was listening to... Um, a, actually, I was listening to the Code Switch podcast yesterday, and their very first um, episode, they talk about whiteness. Yeah. What is whiteness? Because the problem is, unless people understand what whiteness is as a race and the history of whiteness in America, then we can't have an, I'm, and I'm speaking specifically to white people, we can't have an appreciation for what any other race goes through in America because we tend to think that race is somebody else's problem. Like we're not a race because we're white, but that's not true. And so, um, anyway, I was listening to the, um, whiteness episode on code switch yesterday and there were two teachers who taught the same class 
um, at the same institution, one was an anthropology professor who taught the history of whiteness, and one was a sociology professor who taught the history of whiteness. The anthropology teacher was a black female, and the sociology teacher was a white female. And so the students viewed the white female as like this um, uh, benevolent role model because she was teaching on whiteness and the history of whiteness and how people have used their whiteness as to basically keep other races down and to put people in minority groups. But because she's white, people looked at her as this role model. But then the anthropology professor is teaching the exact same materials, exact same coursework with just a slightly different perspective from a, you know, geological and historical perspective, but the same thing. And people saw her as an angry black woman, but it was the same context, the same objectives, like everything was the same. So I thought that was interesting. Happens every day. Happens every day. Right. Yes. I smile when I talk. So this is not me being happy about that. <laughs> this is just me talking. <laughs> uh. um, but I would love if you're in a space where you feel like you can share some of these stories. I want to know first. First of all, are we there? Are we in that space? Because I know good. this is a very heavy topic. I'm good. And it's not, it, it doesn't have to be heavy to me because I'm right. white and I'm of a race of privilege and I don't have to think about these things. Right. We get that. Right. Sorry. Did I reiterate that? No. Oh. We're good. Okay. Come on. Let's... So I want to know what does the term code switching mean to you? Uh, I think the definition that you gave is almost pretty accurate, except that I would like, for, for me, I would like to add on um, behavior to that. Because I think you said it was based around language, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, I would like to add on behavior to that. Like behavior and actions? And actions, yeah. Um, I think that that is also one of the most unrecognizable ways that people code switch. And that could be from the way that you walk, the way that you approach the way that your body language is, the way that your body language is perceived. Mm. If you move something too aggressively, if you, you know a door is closed too, like I feel like it's more than just talk. It's like actions behind it. Um, that that is also a part of should be a part of that definition. And for me, it is because I'm aware of not only the way that I talk and the way that I'm presenting myself, but my actions and behavior as well. Mm. I think that's a really good point because that's something we talk about often is um, you having to temper your actions, not because they are not because your emotions are that you are upset or flustered or excited or angry. It's just that they might be perceived that way. And so you have to temper your actions or behaviors. Right. A lot of times your words. So we talk about that often. Mm -hmm. So I think the definition that you gave was good. And I would just add to that, the actions and behaviors as well. Mm, Okay. So let me ask you, Mm -hmm. when did you first learn or figure out that you needed to code switch? I think that 
I learned when where I can remember back to, I think I learned when my family made a big move when we moved from Georgia to Florida and the part of Florida that we moved to um, is where I immediately recognized and realized that I had to carry myself differently Mm -hmm. because of how I was perceived based on my race. Also, I think that one of the things that plays into that is we left a place where I had a lot of comfort because of my family was there or a large portion of my family, not immediate family was there so that I always had support Mm -hmm. and I always had someone that I felt like was there to hold me up. When I moved to Florida away from that, it was just my immediate family. But not only that, the dynamic of the city that we moved to Mm. kind of brought that to my attention at a at an early young age. So that's when I first and that's when I can remember back to where I had to kind of like acknowledge it and say, wow, this is really a thing. Mm-hmm. And to where I can start to remember that depending on who I was around or um, the way that people were perceiving me based on their feedback, I had to start to, I guess, code switch. Did anybody have to tell you or coach you through that? Or did you have to figure that out on your own? I figured it out, a lot of it out on my own. Um, I think that a lot of times the consequences to some of my actions was where I learned. So some of the things that I were that I was doing uh, that people were saying were responses to things that I was doing and I would get in trouble about those things. So that was my learning to it. So for instance, saying something out of place or or not my turn to speak or doing certain things, I would get in trouble at home about it. And I really wouldn't understand because I would see other people doing it just differently. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was deemed as inappropriate. And then, you know, you go home with something that was deemed as inappropriate and you get in trouble. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do that anymore or I have to do it differently Mm. because of what I was doing was perceived differently, even though I saw other people doing the same or very similar things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how I learned. No one ever really coached me through it that much. It was just, you got in trouble. I got in trouble and I learned or I was accepted or opportunities were presented to me. And that's kind of how I learned. So, for instance, in school, because I did or said something what was deemed the right way, it's like an opportunity was presented. You get to go to this or you get to do this or be a part of this. But uh-huh. if you didn't, then you were set aside. You're not included. You were not able to be involved. And that's kind of where I learned, OK, so to be a part of this or to be able to be involved in this, I have to behave this way or talk this way or engage this way. Mm -hmm. And those are things that I just learned and you just kind of pick up. Uh, And and when you're doing that, you're realizing what it's about. And I think that not until I was and probably junior high Mm -hmm. is where I realized like a lot of these things have to do with a certain group of people. And we all look the same in this group. Mm. And that's when those 
when it started to churn, I was like, okay, so I get it. I'm a part of this group, and the people in this group just happen to either be black or brown people. And even though these people over here are doing the exact same thing, we can't do it and get away with it. Mm -hmm. I got examples. I mean, I don't know if you're going to ask that later, but I got like examples from like middle and junior or junior high of things that happen. Yeah. So, for instance, um, a group of white kids in our school used to wear safety pins on like their clothing which represented something to them and nothing was never said and i don't know what it was about because we didn't wear the the black kids didn't wear the safety pins yeah that's weird and and i don't know what it represented and i really don't care Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure it had something some racial behind it or something and i i don't i really don't know but i know for sure that and, and and I don't know if this started with the athletes or not, but I know that the black students were the ones that kind of did it. So during lunch, we were able to participate in like basketball or open gym mm, or open mm-hmm. rec if you ate your lunch and do what you're supposed to. And you would get sweaty and different things like that. So I noticed that black students started bringing hand towels with them. Mm-hmm. And when we were done with it, we would just tuck it in our pocket or put it in our pants or something like that. Right. And... It got to a point to where, because it was a, a lot of us doing it, they created an entire policy at school and told us, the black kids, that you can't put the towels in your pockets, you can't wear them in your pants, you can't have exposed towels because we were somehow representing an affiliation to something. I don't what? know if, to them if it was like gang related or whatever. I was like a white, I had no idea. I, I'm like, well, I'm not in a gang. <laughs> Um, I just get sweaty when I, I play get basketball. Sweaty and we, yeah, so so when you talk about standards and how things, you know, are, wow. but also at the same school, I remember when we had all out black versus white fights and wars and stuff. Really? Yeah. Um, so and, and that was something that where I came from in Georgia, like. Because I was with family and probably because most of the students at the school were black like us. I was going to ask. We didn't, I didn't see much of that. But Mm -hmm. when I moved to Florida and the specific town that I was in in Florida, it was like very, like a lot of tension, a lot of separation. And it was blatant. And the way that rules and, and people were held accountable were very different. And it was very evident that race had something to do with it. Wow. Um, so that's how I experienced it. And that's kind of how I learned. And I was just like, wow, I'm like, this is crazy. That is crazy. And yeah. I, I, it's just, it's really even hard for me to picture. I mean, first of all, I grew up in a town of 2,000 people total. So not only were there not that many kids in my school, but there were zero, like there was zero diversity. There was really no diversity, um, minus a few, a couple marginalized populations, but there was definitely no African-American students at all in our, and there was no African-Americans in our town. So it's just a, it's hard for me to picture this, especially growing up Mm -hmm. and it kind of worries me for our kids, but yeah, that's a different story, I guess. So that's how it was. And and I, and like, I learned a lot through experiences. I don't, I can't even remember my parents even ever sitting me down and talking to me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I know Jamal's dad 
used to talk to me about it some, but he used to talk to both of us about it. Right. In his in his own way. I'm not I'm not gonna repeat some of the stuff that he said, but um, <laughs> definitely he gave us recommendations and insights on how to carry ourselves when we're around certain people or in certain situations. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like most of it is just through life experiences. Like you try something that you see somebody else doing and it's unacceptable for you to do it. So you don't do it anymore or you find a different way or do it around a different group of people. Like it was just plain and simple as that. Mm. You know what I mean? For instance, movie theater. Mm. You see a bunch of white people group together, navigate through. And do their thing. So you get with your homies and y'all group together and start to do your things. And immediately somebody comes over and say, hey, what are y'all up to? This isn't a place for uh, you to hang out at. So you need to go and find something to do. In that setting, in that space, we can't get together as a group of black people and do it. Even though we just saw the white people go do it. Wow. Like That's how we learn. That's how I learn things. Yes, that has happened. That's crazy. <laughs> but, you know... Um, nobody ever taught me if you to get back to the question that you asked how did Mm -hmm. I learn nobody ever taught me it was just through experiences Um, and like I said I know Jamal's dad definitely told us to always be careful um, to always be aware of our surroundings to always be aware of who we're around and how we're carrying ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, but like as far as code switching or when you're around people you have to do this or behave this way I just learned that Mm. like in the fire yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think those stories are powerful um, because they're not they're not something that I've a experienced, but b even thought about looking out for. Yeah. And I think that's why this I think that's why when we say like talking about diversity or how does diversity affect your success? I think that things like this are really important to understand if you are not from a marginalized population because it will affect your success. Um, So anyway, let's move forward. I want to jump into the next one. What's the next one? So the next one is... Let me see what we are. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so on a daily basis, if you're willing to share... Where's... Go keep going. I'm just looking and trying to find it so I can see where I got to go with this. Okay. The notes. Okay. Yeah. So on a daily basis, if you're willing to share, what are some ways that you can th- <clears throat> that you can think of now, especially like <laughs> going to work or, and or like being with our kids oh. or like just a- any ways that you operate on a daily basis? Oh. How do you tend to code switch? <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't know if people from work listen to us or not. I really don't care. Uh, It would be nice. Hopefully they can learn something about me and about us. Um, So I'll give a disclaimer in case anybody decides they want to listen in from work or you know somebody that gives you the updates on what we're doing. Usually that happens more, I think. More than anything. Nobody from work listens to us, but they have friends of a friend who listens to us and be like, oh my gosh, Gerald and April are doing this. Did you hear what they said? They did this. They're like, oh no, I didn't know. But then they come back and talk to you like they know what's going on in the podcast. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, anyways, for anybody that's going to do that or anybody that happens to work with us, disclaimer, if you are easily offended or your feelings get hurt, close your ears to this. Or if you're listening and you go back and give them the scoop, 
No, nah, go tell him. I don't care. Um, no, nah. just play the right game of telephone, not yeah. the distorted yeah. game of telephone. Yeah, no, it's, it's all good. So, <laughs> so code switch at work for me currently right now happens every day, all the time. Okay, every day, all the time. Um, it's almost like I just turn my, my my black self off, like in the car, and just be like, I'll be back to pick you up later when I get out of work. <laughs> You know what Sorry. I mean? Nah, it's all good. It's, good. <laughs> it's funny. It's not funny. No, it's not. But it's funny. Um, <laughs> Just because I know you. Nah. So, so at work, <sighs> I I have to in, in my current position. I, I have to be aware. Okay. Um, I I think that I definitely have to be aware. I think that there is, and, and a lot of people try to be understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say a lot of people, so let me back up in my current position and let me back way up. So in okay. a lot of the jobs that I've had, mm-hmm. I've been the only mm-hmm. black person, let's say administratively, mm-hmm. because I've worked in a lot of jobs where the support staff, like a lot of them were black. Um, and in an administrative role, I have worked probably in almost... 90% of my jobs, I've been the only black person. And I don't know if it's because of the field or is it because like I strive to be progressive in my work life and mm-hmm. be in positions mm-hmm. of, of leadership um, and where I'm able to, I guess, be there. I was going to say provide feedback. Sometimes I feel like it's not listened to, but whatever. Um, like I feel like I want to be in a position to do that. And so I've worked for that. But in a lot of my jobs, I've been the only black person. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it's it's tough and it's been challenging. And I've learned throughout those experiences of how I have to navigate and moderate conversations mm-hmm. and be aware and watch this. Much. Because I get reminded constantly, but it's in a microaggressive way. Yes, I was going to say microaggressions. It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. It's a, and microaggressions are something I never experienced until you and I were together. Crazy. But once I started experiencing them, it's easy to see why people don't think that they are, that microaggressions could be offensive or because they're so small and minute, but they always go back to your race. Yeah. So, for instance, now I'm not dodging the question. I'm just kind of. Okay. I'm just thinking through. Yeah, just answer how you feel, how you need yeah, to. Yeah, I'm just thinking yeah. through. But I'm at home though, so I shouldn't have to code switch on our podcast. But it still matters, though. <laughs> you does. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just like what I put on social media matters. And yeah. As we found out, matters to some people more than others. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. if y'all can't tell, I'm 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 just antsy, but <laughs> at work. I, I'm aware of of my demeanor. Like if I'm not having a good day, like yeah. I have to be aware of what my face is saying, my body language. Um, I have to be aware of how and when I interject. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be aware of what I say. Um, and now I'm I'm trying to say more and do more, but because of how people have labeled me already, I get cut off a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to remember that when i get cut off by me reintrojecting myself i can't do it in a loud tone right and it's like you got to find your spots like i always got to think about everything that i do this is something that i don't know if i could do it 
I mean, honestly, and that's, I feel like that's a terrible thing to say, but I've never, I haven't been conditioned to do it because it just, it's not something I've ever had to think about Yeah. in my professional life. And even now in the ways that I have to think about toning down some of the, some of the ways that I say things in my office, it's still not the same because I can't imagine having to run this dialogue through your head 20 like the entire time you're at work just constantly thinking about how are people going to perceive me how if I say this thing or in this tone or if I even like my face is a little bit off then people could perceive me as the angry black man or if you don't say something if you're not right like it's just from both sides. Um, like it has to be exhausting. It is. To it constantly is. Very be exhausting. thinking about this where I guarantee you, and I only say this because I have sat in meetings that are, can we just say PW? As yeah. Predominantly white. I'm, that's the thing. Don't forget where you're going, but mm-hmm. like imagine being in that setting and being the only black, not person, like black male, but black person in right. those settings. Like now, it's something I think about when I'm in those settings, especially when they're you look around and find the black person. They gotta have one in there. They gotta have the token in there, Mm -hmm. so that they can say that everybody's voice was in the room, even Mm -hmm. though voices in the room can get silenced. Um, yes, and I see that happen. I'm jumping ahead. I hope it's not. A, no, you're fine. Oh, it's it's something I see often um, in a couple of the meetings I go to that are that are PW, and there are just a handful. If I would say it's pretty reflective of where we work as a whole, um, the percentages of race in that room. Yeah, that makes sense. So very small percentage are are others, right? Um. And it makes me think when those people speak or talk, I think of two things. I think of how are they being received by the other people in this room? And and this is something I recently started thinking about is how can it like how can I show an allyship for these people? Do, is, it, is there something they say that I can agree with maybe? Or maybe I'm just being silent and listening. Like... It makes me think of how can I be better at allowing these people to have a voice in this room that is PW. And see, and so, and so you're shaking, you were shaking your head and that's something I don't know, you know? So as a the person. Fact, the fact that you have to ask yourself that question and figure out how you can help these people in itself is a part of the problem. Mm. The fact that you feel like you have to help these people. Like, I, I mean, I, like that's a part of the problem in itself. And here's the thing that yeah. that gets me frustrated is by I don't know if it would be like reversal code switch, but by trying to then be a part of who they are or like change who you are to try to make them feel involved. So a, a prime example is um, which I deal with this at work too. Like when people talk to me. They try to, like, talk to me differently, I guess, how black people talk. Mm. And, and, and they, and I don't know, the, the, 
like TV and radio and all this that they listen to rap now. So <laughs> they know some of the lingo and when they talk to you, they want to use some of the lingo and they use it out of context. And I'm looking at them like, do you know how crazy you sound right now? Mm. But my face can't really say it. And I can't really say that to them. I got to like, oh yeah, make them feel like they're mm-hmm. hip because they're talking to me. Right. But if the roles were reversed and I came to them without them opening that door and talk to them with that lingo, then I would be looked at as ghetto or talking black or talking mm. not the right way. Like I don't like the I personally don't like how it can come in one way, but if it comes out the other way, right. then it can be held against you. And the fact that you have to wait for that door to be open so yeah. that you can be yourself with somebody but in a sense, they're being a fake person trying to feel like they're connecting with you. But then if you came in a room and you're like, yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Just everybody chilling today. And then they're like, uh, we don't talk like that here. Um, mm, like, that's fair, who let yeah. this black guy in here? Who is this guy? You know what I mean? But yeah. if they come in, they'd be like, hey, everybody, what's popping? How are you doing? Like, what's going on? Yeah. What's crack a lacking? And then you're just like. You think that's what I sound like, or that's how you got to talk to me to get me to connect with you? Yeah. Anyways, sorry. No, yeah, that's true. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important. um, What I say, reversal code switching? Reversal (laughs) code switch, you know, and this is something. I could do this all day. Yeah, I mean, we're. I'll tell you what, it it is tiring. Yeah. Um, and, And also with advancements or when you're talking about, um, financial equality yeah um like for a black person and i know in some positions and roles and organizations that i have been a part of it's almost like if i even said anything about it i got the response not in these exact words but like oh you should be appreciative of that of where you are and what you're getting paid even though counterpart or my experiences are higher like i've experienced that before Mm. so and the code switch is like, okay, so I can't be, you know, who I am and I can't show my skill set and my expertise because I need to be appreciative of where I am. Yeah. And then it's also like, so I'm not supposed to try to be better than what I am and I'm not supposed to improve because I should be thankful for what I've been allowed to do or where I've been allowed to be or where I've been allowed to accomplish. Gotcha. Um, so like, that's another part of the code switch. It's like- yeah. Always seem like you're appreciative, always seem like you're humble, always seem like you're thankful for what they have allowed you to do. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on any podcast platform and make sure that you rate us. Also, we do have a YouTube channel if you prefer to watch our antics and we also provide closed captioning. And if you want to know more about us, go check us out on our website at successinblackandwhite.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on social media. My social media handle is I am Daryl Lovett on all platforms. And mine is April Dawn Lovett on all platforms.